Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Gamer Heroes, a Heroes Podcast Network production. Each episode, we discuss the latest gaming news and then bring on a guest or two for an in-depth discussion on specific games, franchises, and more. It's game time. Greetings, programs, and welcome to Gamer Heroes. I am your host, Derek. This is our first big full episode back in action after a little four-month hiatus. Thank you for joining us and joining me to talk about video games. Um, I have two guests that I'll be bringing on the show here in just a little bit, Morgan and Zach, and we will be discussing the Bioshock Collection. Uh, why the Bioshock Collection, you may ask? Well, it's actually coming to Nintendo Switch later this month on May 29th, and we thought this would be a good time to talk about it, discuss the franchise, the game. Uh, there will be spoilers um, involved there, so if you haven't played those games... You know, just be wary of that as we, we go through that interview process that there will be spoilers. But we talk about the whole trilogy, DLC included. Um, so that'll be a fun conversation here coming up. Before we do that, this is kind of our introductory section of the podcast I've got together. It'll be news and info, things I'm doing. First off, let's talk about things I'm playing right now real quick. Uh, two games I want to talk about. The first is called Moving Out. Moving Out is a new game uh, that is basically the moving version of overcooked if you've played the overcooked games they're great co-op games uh, that have to do with how to cook various dishes and you serve them and there's time constraints kind of a resource management timing kind of thing uh, this is a very similar style uh, except that you are packing and moving objects from houses and things like that it's very tongue-in-cheek a little sarcastic and funny and lighthearted uh, and silly at times for sure and I've really enjoyed it. My wife and I have been playing it. It's available on Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Steam, Xbox One. In fact, we started playing it because it's on Game Pass. It's on Xbox Game Pass. So uh, it was, you know, part of that. And I already paid for Game Pass. So there you go. And so if you're looking for some couch co-op out there, definitely recommend checking it out. If you are looking for couch co-op action, it is available now to you. I'm also, I just started playing a game called Lonely Mountains Downhill, and this is uh, published by Thunderful, which uh, includes such developing brands as Image Inform, which uh, is a favorite of mine. Image Inform has brought you the SteamWorld franchise, so SteamWorld Dig, SteamWorld Dig 2, SteamWorld Heist, SteamWorld Quest. I love these games. Uh, I've reviewed, I think, all four of them here on the Heroes Podcast Network. You can go to heroespodcast.com and find them. I've talked about them on previous episodes way back when. Uh, I might even put some of that in the show notes. We'll see. 
Anyway, anyway, Lonely Mountains Downhill. I'm just going to read a little excerpt for you. Lonely Mountains Downhill is a mountain biking game where it's just you and your bike with the objective of successfully getting downhill. There are challenges to complete with unlock new, which unlock new trails, mountains, and customization options. And leaderboards for those who want to master the mountain's terrain and reach the base with the fastest possible time. Players can also take their time and explore the mountains to find hidden rest areas. Um, I just started playing it. Like I said, I've got a couple hours into it. It's a cute game. The graphics are very bright and colorful, but relatively basic in design. Lots of polygons, right? Um, the track is quite long and difficult. I really had a hard time completing the first track. You really have to take it slow and think things through and plan your route. Um, but I'm going to play through this a little bit more and I'm going to come back with a review. I'm going to write a review for the site and probably talk about that on here. So keep your, your eyes open for that. The game is available now. Uh, the reason I'm reviewing it is it's just coming to switch. And so I got a, uh, I got a review code for that so I could check it out on switch. So more will be coming there. Okay, let's move on to the news segments happening in the world of gaming. So of course, the rumors are still churning that Blizzard will, in fact, put out some kind of Diablo 2 remaster this year in 2020. At this point, look, I want to believe those rumors just like you do, but I'm wondering if that's why these rumors exist. It's just because so many of us would like to see that happen. Uh, I play Diablo 3 all the time. I'm playing through it again uh, on PS4 for the who knows how many times. And it would be great to have Diablo 2 on modern consoles or with modern graphics. So, you know, who knows? Um, there's an IGN article out about it. They, they, they cite, quote, sources close to the studio. Um, I mean, who knows? It's saying that Vicarious Visions may be involved in the project. Vicarious, of course, is the home of the Crash Bandicoot franchise, which includes that new Insane Trilogy that came out not too long ago and the Nitro Fueled Racing game. So, you know, they've done some cool stuff. Who knows if this is true? Take it with a grain of salt, but keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open. Maybe we will finally see Diablo 2 return in a remastered format. Moving on to the world of Xbox. So Microsoft has started these um, these Xbox events that they're hosting. And this last one showed a bunch of third-party titles. There's a one particular feature on the X series that's coming out that I just wanted to cover real quick because I think it's not particularly clear for a lot of people. It's called Smart Delivery. So Microsoft and the Xbox division are marketing smart delivery as a feature where if you buy a game on the current gen, so Xbox one, Xbox one S or Xbox one X, if you purchase that game for that generation of console, when you get your X series and the game releases on X series, you will automatically be able to play it on X series. You will not have to purchase it again. It'll just move over. Uh, this is pretty cool. Um, it's kind of a strange concept of course, because you know, the Xbox One was backwards compatible to a lot of 360 games, um, and the X-Series will be backwards compatible to a lot of Xbox One games. But this is a very specific feature. We do know that the some of the titles that are included now will include the new Assassin's Creed Valhalla that's been announced. We know that Cyberpunk uh, 2077 will use the feature as well. The Yakuza Like a Dragon, Dirt 5, 
just to name a few, are all going to support this new feature. There's, of course, going to be complications. EA, for example, is supporting the feature for Madden 21. However, uh, you have to redeem your upgraded version of the game by March 31st, 2021. The game comes out, of course, this year. It's always the the name of the, the year is always one ahead, kind of like a car. So if you buy that, uh, then, you know, you got to kind of think about when you're going to, to redeem that upgrade. You have to think about when you're getting that X-Series. So if you're not getting the X-Series at launch in November, presumably, if you don't get it by March, then you're not going to be able to upgrade, specifically for Madden 12. So it's a little complicated, but that's the feature, and that's what it does. Um, presumably, Halo Infinite on and any first-party titles are supposed to support this feature. First-party, of course, includes like over a dozen studios now as well, as Microsoft went through a pretty large acquisition project for their Xbox division. Okay, let's get a little weird. All right, let's do it. Let's get weird. So Cyberpunk 2077 is shaping up to be a crazy game. The graphics are incredibly intense and gorgeous. Keanu Reeves is involved. It's getting all of these very hard, mature ratings in various countries. There will be a lot of violence. There will be a lot of nudity. So yes, this is an adult game. However, uh, PC Gamer has an interesting article out about how it will ha- the game will have customizable genitalia. And that is a very interesting concept because we know very little about that at this point. What exactly will that mean? Uh, according to the ESRB's rating summary, quote, some locations depict mutilated corpses with open chest cavities and or exposed organs slash entrails. During one quest, players assist a character by hammering nails through his hands and feet. Screaming sounds and blood effects accompany the scene. So there's your R rating, right? There's your mature rating for this video game. It is incredibly intense. Uh, This is definitely adult content. Later on, however, it says, quote, players can select a gender and customize their character. Customization can include depictions of breasts, buttocks, and genitalia, as well as various sizes and combinations of genitals. That's a very interesting statement, right? Obviously size, that's fairly intuitive, Uh, but combinations, that's an interesting point. What is that going to entail? What's that going to look like? Are these going to be checkboxes or are there going to be actual visual representations of this that you can see? This certainly remains to be seen. However, between both those chunks of the summary and the rest of this article here by PC Gamer, I just have to say that this is probably the most adult game that I'm ever uh, I, I've ever going to be playing, right? Um, I've played a lot of video games in my day, but it's usually just violence that that's really involved, like Gears of War or Bioshock or The Last of Us. Um, and so this heavy nudity and even down to the genitalia is kind of a new concept for, for gaming for me. So I'm curious to see how that, that plays out. I'll let you know as I learn more about it. Okay. Well, that's that's my introductory section here on this week's episode. We're going to move on now to the interview process where I'm going to bring on Morgan and Zach and we're going to talk Bioshock. So just a little bit of overview for the franchise in a non-spoiler way. The Bioshock first game was released way back in August of 2007 uh, during the 360 PS3 era. It was also released on PC. And... um. That game takes place in 1960 in a city called Rapture that's built under the water. The second game came out in February of 2010 and takes place a little bit later in 1968. You're still in Rapture as a different character. 
Then you have Bioshock Infinite, which is a very, very different game. This came out in March of 2013, still on the PS3 and 360 era. And it takes place actually prior in 1912, but this is in the floating city of Columbia up in the sky. Uh, you play another character in this one. These are these games have very specific mechanics and tones and styles and um, a philosophical, moral, ethical message throughout. They are heavy duty games. There's a lot of violence in them. There are some difficult scenes depending on your personal background and and things of that nature. So I definitely recommend if you are sensitive to to violence uh, that you look into that a little bit before you play these games if you haven't played them. But we will be talking about the Bioshock Collection, which was a uh, collection of remastered versions of of these games released later on. Uh, That's what I played. It's available right now on PS4, PC, Xbox One, things like that. If you have uh, PS Plus, it's been given away multiple times on PS Plus uh, as one of the free monthly games. So you can check that out if you're lucky. And that's going to be it for me here. I'm going to go ahead and we'll take a short break. And when we come back, I will have Morgan and Zach on to talk Bioshock. Catch you here in a minute. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Hey, everybody. I am back. I have my two guests with me this week. First time on the show. Morgan Simone. Morgan, say hi to everybody. Hello. Welcome, welcome. And then uh, for you old timers out there, you may or may not remember <laughs> Zach's story. Hi, Zach. Hey, it's me again. It's been a while on this <laughs> show, at least. Zach started the show with me way back when, um, and he's been on a, the Red Shirts and Runabout show here on the HP. Back when the world was new. <laughs> back when the world was new. <laughs> Um, but we are, of course, here to talk about Bioshock, the Bioshock collection and so forth. Um, before we do that, I thought I'd give you each kind of a chance to introduce yourselves, maybe talk a little bit about why you wanted to talk about this game or the first time that you played these games. And uh, Morgan, since you're the first time guest, oh God, <laughs> I thought you should go first. Okay. Wow. Um, it's me. Uh, well, my name is Morgan. I'm a model and a cosplayer um, because your boy's a nerd. And <laughs> um, Bioshock series has always been a huge like inspiration and um, stress relief of mine. I remember like I first played it years ago. I can't even remember. I think it was like seven years ago, maybe the first one. 
uh, no, it was longer than that. It was, I was, I was in high school forever ago. And I remember being so impressed by like the subtle um, horror elements in it because I am very spooky and I love like creepy things all the time. So I remember my ex was playing it when I was like in high school, middle school, maybe, I don't know. But... She's so much younger than us, Zach. <laughs> I know. I feel old. I feel old now. I'm a small bean. Um, <laughs> and I remember they had like the ghosts and like the creepy flickering lights and like the sections that were strictly horror. And I had never seen an action game do that really. That that didn't advertise. That didn't lead with horror elements. It just kind of snuck it in there, and it was super surprising. And ever since then, I was hooked. So, yeah. That's why I really want to talk about it, because it's my favorite game series of all time. Fair enough. All right, well, Zach, what about you? Yeah, um, this is also one of my favorite game series of all time. Um, I, The only thing I have to compare it to is, I feel like this franchise is, for horror, what the Half-Life series is for sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, like, an engaging first-person shooter um that is more than just a you know an old time shoot 'em up like there's there's a story and there's um some subtleties and nuance to follow and and it's a very visually told story um and yeah i remember the first time playing um the original game i was in college so a little bit older oh man <laughs> <laughs> i know um and i remember being really drawn in not just to um the gameplay in fact less about the gameplay I, I we'll talk more about this later but i enjoy the gameplay but i think what really hooks me with bioshock is the story and the universe yeah. and uh the visual way in which they uh pull you in it's almost like a it's almost like a interactive novel these games and, and that's really what uh what makes me excited about them fair fair um so for me I am very new to this franchise. I actually just played all three of them in the last uh, five months. Oh my yeah. goodness. Um, I've, I've bought them on steam, you know, like you do and then <laughs> didn't touch them uh, for years uh. because there was some steam summer sale or some nonsense. And um, they just sat there and got updated from time to time. And then, you know, PlayStation gave it out the collection as uh, as the PSN plus and I snagged that thinking I'll play that someday and then didn't <laughs> and I finally just decided to sit down and and do it so I played I started playing them uh in December and burned through them pretty quick I finished them in March if I remember wow. correctly maybe maybe yeah. yeah yeah March I finished them in March so uh played through them really quick including uh the DLC which which was cool and yeah so it's still pretty fresh in my head uh and i have kind of a different perspective because i didn't touch them until i was basically 33 um after the original the original came out in 07 so it was a pretty pretty oh my gosh was it 07 that's when the first one came out yeah oh i was in seventh grade (laughs) yeah no no i I was uh... a sophomore (laughs) derek and i were sophomores in college oh no No, no, oh, that's right. Because you, you were back a year. Well, of... no, I wasn't back a year. No, no, no. See, I had already <laughs> been academically dismissed, my friends. Right, right. I was full. I was working full time at TGI Fridays. Nice. Time and had not gone back to school quite yet. 
Uh, so that no was no shame. Uh, no shame. That's what I, I haven't gotten back to school yet. Uh, but you know, whatever. So, okay. So let's talk, let's, let's talk one more question that I have before we dive into it is, do you have a favorite of the three? And if you do, which one is it? Uh, I I don't know. Like I, infinite is outstanding. However, I'm really close to the original because it was the first, but man, they really killed it with infinite. I remember the first time I played it, I, cause it was, it was so long. It was like four or five years after maybe more from the second one, which we kind of don't talk about, but. Um, That's hurtful. We will talk about it. <laughs> we will. <laughs> um, but I remember everything was different. And at first I was, I didn't really like the difference, the complete shift, but it just, really i just fell in love with the aesthetic and the slow psychological horror that bioshock is great at that just Mm -hmm. kind of over time just sinks like really sinks its teeth into you and just that story that they have for infinite and how it ties it all into especially in the dlcs how it ties it into the greater world of bioshock and back to rapture i just chef's kiss i just (laughs) oh it's so good (laughs) And plus my husband, yeah. Troy Baker's in it, so. Of course. <laughs> yeah, Zach? no, uh, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, and, and nothing will ever top that experience of playing the first game um, in its entirety and, and just, you know, enjoying that whole experience. Um, and yet there were a lot of storytelling elements that I feel like uh, were not as good about the first one that Infinite really perfected. And, and I'm a huge fan of just Kim Levine in general as a storyteller and I have a lot of respect for him and his craft and yeah if we're going to include DLC I would have to say Infinite is my favorite just because we do go back to Rapture we do kind of pull full circle and we get a really complete story um you get to see Rapture before Bioshock uh the original and and then after the the insanity occurs so um yeah like uh, I hate picking a favorite because I enjoy all three of them, honestly, for different reasons. But um, the first, uh, the you know, Infinite is definitely my my go-to. I would say, and that that seems to be what the the majority of people have been saying that I've talked to mm-hmm. about this. Um, I think I'm definitely in the small group that actually thinks the second one is the best. Really? Yeah, yeah, oh, you're wow. definitely the minority. And I mean, I say that by also saying that none of them are bad, uh, right? right? They're all great, right. but yeah. the second one, and I think it's just a very personal situation that I think the story in the second one just is more relatable to me and more, I connect with it more than with either sure. of the other two, just from a narrative perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of what you were alluding to, Zach, I definitely think Infinite is improved by the DLC, yeah, uh, absolutely. Burial, burial at sea. Um, I think if you sh- before that DLC existed, I don't think Infinite has as strong of a of of a message or as strong of an impact on the other Bioshock games. But when you it's a little bit more ambiguous, yeah. But when you bring that in, you tie it all back together. Um, because like, I think my what throws me off about Infinite is it's without the DLC, is it really a Bioshock game? See, I mean, I would say yes. I would say yes. 
because you there's always a man in a lighthouse and, yeah. and whereas uh i don't know and i do like and that's the thing like when i think about the bioshock franchise like infinite was just like how do you make a sequel how do you follow up the original yeah. bioshock and you go from this very um Ayn Randian influenced uh, city under the ocean where your creativity is your limit and and man is is just absolutely um, encouraged to give into their hedonistic and creative desires to the nth degree. And then infinite is like the antithesis of that. Instead of a city under the ocean, you've got a city on the clouds, of course. Uh, and and whereas Bioshock plays a lot with shadows and and darkness, you you've got a lot of light and uh, you know cloudiness and loftiness of, of this weird ideal in Bioshock Infinite. And and mind you, when Bioshock Infinite came out, um, the Tea Party was still a thing. And and so to see this video game reflecting, and not that they're not now, but it's you know that's small fish. And then you can't talk about Bioshock without discussing social political issues and oh absolutely right and when bioshock infinite came out um the tea party was still a big thing so to see this like polar opposite of rapture with columbia and columbia has taken to the extreme this idea of marrying uh religion and and state and you've got this very cult-like you know one of the most unnerving things for me in bioshock infinite is you get into the city in the clouds and you've got these like monks basically praying to father washington and father jefferson and it's like we we've completely um religiously romanticized the concept of um american history and that's something that was timely then it's maybe more timely now in a lot of ways um but yeah it was unnerving and it was i i, I appreciated the dissonance and so i would say yeah infinite's definitely a bioshock game it's just uh, the photo negative of what we originally encountered. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Zach. Um, I feel like Bioshock, like I said earlier, um, hits on like the psychological horror within our society. Like the first one, like you said, deals with it's the first one is very roaring 20s. It's obviously stylistically and like the mentality of like we've just gone we just overcame this huge great thing like the war or whatever and now it's time to celebrate it's time to just indulge to the max it's time to take all of oh gosh what are they called not the elixirs not the vigors vigors was infinite what is oh the uh the plasmids plasmids thank you time to take too much plasmids and get spliced and stuff mm -hmm. like that it's just all like excess in the first yeah. one and then you see the downfall of that side in the second one but for infinite it takes that 50s american dream everything's grand everyone's smiling it's so beautiful but you can't look beneath the surface and it takes that element of the social the social class and the social turmoil that was painted over in gold that everyone's like don't look over there this mm -hmm. is all amazing and right. you kind of get that i mean obviously the the lottery and infinite is a turning point where you start seeing how wrong everything is on yeah. purpose um 
but it really and I really like that subtle shift because when you're playing it you're like this is okay what's wrong with this because (laughs) instinctually playing a Bioshock game you know it's going to go wrong but you don't know how in that reveal of the lottery either you pick this white man or you pick this black woman to stone to death um is insane and you it finally like drops a curtain and you realize you're dealing with like racism and um like the oh gosh what is the word um the uprising of like socialism and it's just it's just so perfectly wrapped up and therefore i think like you said zach it is a bioshock game because they take the beautiful parts of society and history and they shine like a really realistic light on it Mm -hmm. to be like look at the things that are still wrong with our world but they also obviously like fantasize it and make it more appealing and make it more playable for people who don't like a lot of social narratives in their games yeah Um, yeah and i just it's just so amazing (laughs) yeah i agree and i want to hear what derek has to say but just to piggyback on that real quick i really appreciate like how both these games are so similar and yet so different and and you've got in the first game um this is a very obviously creepy game up front and yet at its core there's some very like sentimental heartfelt stuff and that's both of the, the two rapture games really whereas Bioshock Infinite starts out very sentimental and, and overly sappy, and then it slowly gets creepier, creepier, more so on a, like a social intellectual level. And, and ultimately, all of these games have a very um, intrinsic father-daughter dynamic throughout all. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think ultimately Bioshock boils down to that father-daughter dynamic throughout uh, a number of fucked up social circumstances. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. I think there's the big difference in Infinite is um, in the first two, you play kind of, you play a good guy, mm-hmm. right? But in Infinite, you're not really a good guy for a good yeah. chunk of that game. Booker Booker's not a good person. Right. And he right? reminds you that often. Right? Like, no, maybe well, he's not the worst person, <laughs> right? There are yeah. worse people there, um, but he's certainly not a good guy. Whereas... Delta, I mean, Delta doesn't really have much of a choice. Delta is just a good guy, right? And 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 Jack, though, you, you're given that choice. So let's let's go back to the first game here a little bit. Um, and this, of course, is where everything is originally built, right? So we get the big daddies, we get the little sisters, we get all of that. Um, what what was your strategy when you first played the game versus over time? Did you ever treat the little sisters differently did you get the good ending or how how did you approach the the moral choice in the game it i i (laughs) am extraordinarily empathic and it definitely shows in my game style if i ever have a choice between a good ending or a bad ending or like a morality choice i will always steer to like the quote-unquote good path because I just feel so bad um every single game yes sometimes it's a lot more fun to play the bad guy you sometimes you get a lot more perks like in um uh infamous second son 
you get really great perks if you're the bad guy. However, I just feel so bad. And especially if they're these little children. And then when you um, like save them, it they're just so cute. <laughs> you just want to save them. So I, it's really hard for me. And I think over time I tried to play the bad guy. But then I would slowly steer back because I would just feel too awful. <laughs> well, and to your point, in, in Bioshock, if you if you uh, harvest the little sisters, you get more Adam. Yeah. You do, right? Which makes, theoretically, would make you more powerful. Mm-hmm. But at what cost? Like, the scene where you have to, like, harvest them, that's gut-wrenching. I couldn't do yeah. it. I had to look it up on YouTube and decided that I couldn't do it. Um, I, I'm with Morgan. Like, if there's a good choice or a bad choice, I, I can't do the bad choice. And, and I would like to be able to be a gamer who could, like, do that, but I can't. Like, uh, I remember Knights of the Old Republic, the first one, I played through good because I was more, more comfortable with that. I enjoyed the game more. And I thought, okay, I'm going to replay this as bad. And I got like half an hour in and there's this moment where there's like a, a, a group of kids bullying this hammerhead alien, um, like one of the ones from the Star Wars cantina. And he's like, oh, I'm just trying to get home to my life, mate. Will you protect me? And you've got a good choice or a bad choice. And I'm like, I, I, can't, I can't do the bad thing. I cannot hurt you. Like I'm way uncomfortable with this. And if I can't make this bad choice now, I'm not gonna be able to make any bad choices later. So I turned off the game and I looked up the bad ending on YouTube and I thought, okay, I'm glad I've seen that. And yet uh, I'm glad I didn't spend 40 hours of my life getting to that ending because it's also, yeah. um, and I did the same with Bioshock. I looked up the sad ending and I, I liked the happy ending. I liked the, I liked that the game was a little bit more challenging because you were doing maybe a more morally correct thing and protecting little sisters and lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I played the first game before uh, before I was even a father. Um, by the time I played Bioshock Infinite, I had almost two children at the time. So <laughs> almost, almost two children. Almost two. Yes, yes. <laughs> he was yes, still my... building the second one. Yes, yeah. yes. He was a work in progress. Well, I mean, my, my now ex-wife was, was building the second one in, in mm. utero when, when uh, this, I played the second game. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I appreciated the good ending. I felt like it was worth fighting for. And, and the good ending was just so good. Like, I appreciated, you know, this guy who, you know, got sucked into this world and then he chose this noble thing and, and he didn't have anybody really. But then, like, he left with a family, like a sense of family. And these daughters, like, took care of him as he aged. Um, and that was cool. Yeah, and sorry, Derek. <laughs> you're fine, you're fine. Um, yeah, like I can't, it took me so long to see the bad ending because like I just never played it and I never thought about looking it up um, because when I played uh, the original Bioshock, I just didn't realize that could be a thing to do. Uh, now I'm like, yeah, I will search endings till i'm blue in the face for any game um but it's just i feel so bad and like some of the choices you have to make in a lot of 
moral based games. Like I have Red Dead Redemption too, and I absolutely love it. And sometimes I'm like, I'm gonna shoot this person, and then I feel awful. And I'm like, oh dang it! Like that person's crying. Oh shit! Oh fuck! Um, so like for me to play any game in a bad way, I feel like it comes at such a cost. And plus, I want to see my morality and my morals played out in the game and the character because and I want to see that good story as like Bioshock like the goods like the good endings are just so gorgeous and so heart-wrenching and just like wow I really feel like this is I'm okay with this ending I'm happy everyone's happy-ish because it's Bioshock so no one's like fully happy yeah. but it's just one of those things where like you can end the game and you can feel like you did the best without being like haha yeah they did they harvested the little sisters haha right you know like it just it never sits right with me the strength of this franchise is that it forces you to ask those moral questions and, and ask yourself what you feel comfortable with and that's absolutely that, that's why i call these interactive novels like these are not like just video games where you can like turn off your brain and shoot them up for a minute uh, you can, but I feel like that's the wrong way to experience it, um, <laughs> because ultimately, at its core, like these are games that like ask difficult questions and make you kind of wrestle with what you think. And what you think. Well, you know, to to kind of support all of that, the official canon ending is the good ending, right? Well, exactly. You know, so if you save the little sisters, well, you can you can harvest one little sister and still get the good ending. I, really? I looked it up because I, I was. That. I was curious because I was nervous that like one time I'd accidentally hit the wrong button. Right. Yeah. And I was worried that if I did that, I would just ruin the whole game. And so I wanted to know, like, if that happens, should I start over? And mm. it was like, no, you, you can do it. You can do it one time and you're And you're still, you're still good. So I was like, okay. And I, I never ended up making the mistake, but um, yeah, I mean, and the, the burial at sea DLC for infinite kind of brings all of that into full circle because Elizabeth is setting Jack up to rescue the little sisters. Yeah. So, you, mm -hmm. you know, that's the ending is that he does, he does rescue them. Um, so Derek, you, you've probably done more of the math than I have. It, it's more difficult. You don't get as much Adam out of the little sisters initially if you harvest them. And yet when you go through it, like, like, all of us did, it sounds like, and you don't harvest them, every, like, third or fourth little sister, like, you get a gift with extra Adam. And right. so, like, does it eventually balance out or not? I don't know. So the, the problem with really answering that is that there's 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 too many options. Right. right? Because there's achievements for, for maxing out all of your upgrades and maxing out your plasmids and all this other stuff. And so um, – there's so many different ways to play the game that I guarantee the three of us had different upgrade sets by the time we finished the game every yeah. time we've done it. Right. Sure. And, and so there's not really a way to know. Cause you, if you have more Adam, but you pick the wrong upgrades for your play style, you're going to have a harder time. That's fair. But right? as far as like, just strict, like Adam, like, do you end that up with I'm the same sure. of Adam? Yeah. From the way I understood it, you would get more straight up Adam if you harvest all of the little sisters, but sure. then the end of the game is harder for you though, because then they don't help you. Mm. Right. 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 So there is that kind of balance as well, that they come out and they help you kill Fontaine at the end of the game. And mm -hmm. they, they don't do that if you've been harvesting them. Right. Yeah. Sure. So they, they do try and balance that out. And I think, I think really what's interesting there is that the first game 
provides really the biggest personal ask, the biggest question on the player of the trilogy. Because the other two games don't really change outcomes based on what you do. Yeah, that's fair. That's but the, fair. Fir- the first one does. The first one really does. The way it plays out in the climax of the story is based off of the decisions you made with the little sisters. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that you have control because, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult playing a first person shooter and not having background to your character. Right. Yeah. You have, you have famous franchises like Halo, you know, Master Chief just wakes up from cryo sleep and you're already in a gunfight. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Bioshock games have a similar situation with that because Jack has no memory. You just you wake up in a plane crash. Uh, Delta, you wait, you woke up after more or less being dead uh, for a few for a few years. Right. And then in Infinite you kind of have these weird flashback memories that you Mm -hmm. don't, even the character doesn't really understand. Yeah. And I feel like that, I'm sorry, I cut you off, but I feel like in that (laughs) way, um, infinite definitely world builds the character more. And I feel like you kind of connect with Booker quicker because you have that background story. And so you can kind of like base his actions around what you think about Booker. Whereas Jack and Delta, you're just, you know, there with them. Well, I think, I think Booker's definitely helped by the presence of Elizabeth because not only is she there for you to talk to, because you've always had somebody talking to you in the Bioshock Mm -hmm. games, but she's there to interact with you, right? She's giving you med kits. She's giving you ammo. She's looking at you and you're looking at her and you're having personal conversations. Right. (laughs) Booker. Booker talks a, a good amount in Infinite, mm-hmm. whereas like Delta doesn't, right? Yeah. Ja- Jack doesn't really either. Um, and in, so yeah, does every- Jack talk at all? Actually, I don't think so. Wow. I don't. I, I mean, I'm, I don't recall any lines that he has, and Delta certainly doesn't talk. Yeah. I feel like if Jack had any lines at all, it was like at the very beginning and then at the very end, like right. the cutscenes, mm. not in the actual gameplay. And so it's a little bit, he did say a few things, but that was it. It's a, it's a different kind of of framing for the character because Booker is kind of a is his own character that you are kind of moving around versus Jack and Delta. They're just you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, I know like Ken Levine had said, I believe if memory serves that reading an interview that with Jack, it was an intentional choice, like to submerse you in the character, like not to give them any dialogue so that when you're playing it, you really feel that role. And so when you're interacting with Atlas or when you're interacting with, uh, shit, what's his name? The, the guy you hit with the, with the golf club, Andrew Ryan, Andrew Ryan. Thank you. (laughs) Um, when you, when you're interacting with these guys, like you're doing so as yourself. Um, and it was to really submerse you into that. Whereas they were telling a different story and, and, and and as a side note, Kim Levine was only involved in the first and third, uh, Bioshock two was, um, um, uh, 2k one of their 2k games yeah yeah it was was some of their other studios it was yeah uh, australia 2k australia 2k marin uh uh arcane studios and digital extremes yes um and then 2k boston also helped so and i mean he was involved um ken ken provided some input but he wasn't like directly part of development for for two um Mm -hmm. So, 
Okay, so we're kind of focusing a little bit more on the on the first one then. So this is like what builds the whole universe. This designs all the mechanics, what the weapons are going to be like, uh, what the, the, the plasmids are going to be like, how Adam functions, and how the controls work. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have any particular game mechanic that you really love out of this game? Because basically all three games have the same mechanics. Mm-hmm. So is there an aspect, an, an ability, a weapon, a gameplay style, something that really stood out to you as something you enjoyed? So like, just for example, so um, most first person shooters, at least, you know, throughout video game history, allowed you to hold one weapon at a time. Dual wielding was a big deal, you know, in, when Halo 2 came out, right? And um, I'm still used to my shoulder buttons, the left and the right, doing very specific activities, right? I'm firing with one and I'm like aiming with the other, zooming in with the other and having to use one side, one hand basically for my weapon and the other hand for my plasmid ability was a very kind of unique game mechanic for me. I found that really interesting and I found it difficult for me to acclimate to it. It took me a while to stop making that mistake. I would have out a gun and I'd be like, okay, so I'm just like going to aim in the zoom in a little bit. And I would fire a fireball, a fireball blast by accident. Like, well, there goes, <laughs> there goes the stealth I was going to try for Right. Yeah. Um, you know, or like I'll end up hitting the big daddy and piss it off and, and all Oof. of that. Uh, so are there any mechanics like that? Something that's kind of unique to Bioshock that really stood out to you? I really enjoyed, like you said, how they kind of balanced the weaponry with the plasmids and like the special abilities because I think that was the first game that really had both instead of having just guns or just like magic if you will um and so it was just really interesting and I found myself at first I found myself playing more with the guns because it was something I was familiar with I mean everyone has played at that time everyone played Call of Duty and Halo so like it's it was a first person shooter kind of mentality, but then I just really enjoyed being able to have a selection of like plasmids and the selection of the abilities and kind of altering your play style accordingly. So like if you had shock jockey, you could, and someone was walking in water, you could shock them and electrocute them. Or if you wanted to go the stealth route, you could, do old man, old man winter and freeze them and sneak up on them and just like smack them. And you didn't have to kill them necessarily. And it was, except for the big daddies because yikes. Um, And it was just something that I still find myself missing in newer games that I play. That's just, I just kind of like balance of um, the special abilities with weaponry and i've noticed that since especially since infinite more games have kind of experimented with that kind of stuff so so it's like you have you have a extreme focus or you kind of pick up a certain ability your character has some type of magic and like yes games have always been like that but i feel like since bioshock was such a huge success and people really liked kind of having those abilities with what with the weaponry it, it I just really really enjoy being able to be like oh you know what I don't have to save my ammo so I'm just going to shock the heck out of this guy what about you Zach yeah um I would say in the first game especially I absolutely use the electric plasmid uh quite a bit all the time 
Right. I mean, the game was really designed almost to punish you if you didn't, because there were a lot of times because it's a city underwater and it's dilapidated at this point. Mm -hmm. So you come across many situations where there's a, a pool of splicers and it just makes sense to to shock them. Um, I also really enjoyed the technical aspect. I enjoyed being able to hack uh, the little flying drone things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, those were very helpful, both as a distraction and as a little bit of extra damage. Um, and also, I remember the first couple times you run into a big daddy in the first game, they're intimidating and you don't have what it takes to take one down. And so like the first time you're actually able to take a big daddy down, like that was a big moment. And that requires a lot of firepower, but it also requires a mix of plasmids, whether you're, you know, throwing lightning at them to stun them in the water or not, or you're freezing them or whatever the case, you know, whatever it is you have at your disposal. Um, you have to use a combination of things uh, for the big daddies. And that was a very, like, by the end of the game, it's no big deal. You're like, okay, like, I'm going to fuck this big daddy up and I'm going to run away and I'm going to do a couple <sighs> things and it's fine. Uh, but yeah, early game especially, uh, relied heavily on the electric stuff and on uh, the automation. I, whenever I encountered a, a big daddy, I would really like plan for it and I would set a bunch of traps. Yes. yes. Um, you know, all of the proximity mines and things like that mm -hmm. to really prep, prep for it. And you don't get to do that a lot in first person no. shooters, uh, especially older first person shooters. And like at the end of the day, the original Bioshock is 13 years old now. Um, yeah. Oh my God. You know, so, um, so yeah, so the idea that I could like get a lay of the land, play some of these mines, get you know this and that ready, think okay, well he's gonna go through that, and then I'm gonna shoot him with my grenade launcher, and then I'm gonna zap him with this, and then I'm gonna switch to this gun, and kind of just have it ready to 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 go like a sequence. Those um, were intense battles, yeah. Yeah, no, they absolutely were. So that that then brings me to the the next topic then, which is when you move on to the second game, it had to ratchet yeah. things up a notch, right? So there's yeah. yeah. There's different kinds of big daddies now, but there's also the big sisters. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love the big sisters design. Ugh. Yeah. To die for. The fact that they were able to take the big daddy and make it creepier and more deadly at the same time was I thought really impressive. And I knew Absolutely. like the prepare a big sister is near is is on her way or whatever. I'm like, yes. and I'm like trying <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I'm like, cause I felt I think one of the reasons I, I like the second one more is I felt strapped for resources far more often in the second game. Yeah, it's definitely harder. It's so much harder. I felt I felt like it really was. We're like I'm like down to one bullet, or I'm out of ammo, or I'm down, you know, I'm out of plasmids, and I or you really have to get really smart about the way you're planting your mines. Which, uh -huh. by the way, the mines in the second game like were so much better and so much more involved. I remember putting way more thought into the second game and how I was going to plant mines and where. Yeah. And I, I like that. It just, it seemed more strategic. It seemed more edgy, you know, yes. whereas like in the first game, don't get me wrong. There's some difficult parts to it. Right. And the big daddies are formidable, but I was never like, um, like, like stressed out. Whereas mm -hmm. in the second game, anytime that the screen would, you know, do that little shutter thing when the big sister was on the way, I immediately oh, no. was stressed out. <laughs> yeah, they're terrifying. And plus, mm -hmm. it was just, like, I think the difficulty level ramped up intensely um, from the first game to the second game. Like, I remember playing it, and it took me so long because it was just so difficult. And I refused to 
like down the difficulty because I'm a gamer. So I'm going to make it hard for me. And I would get so frustrated because the big sisters were so strong. And like you said, like the ammo and everything was so um, few and far between. And plus like fighting the big sister, you had splices that you had to deal with as well. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't kill the splices first and the big sister showed up, then it was just like, well, I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah. Well, because they the big sisters, they were faster. They were stronger. Mm-hmm. They would break out of anything that would freeze them up, right? So if you if you did freeze them or you you uh, you know knocked them off center or something like that, they would recover faster than the big mm-hmm. daddies did. Um, and they were just more intense that way. And then on top of that, the second game brought in this other mechanic of you bringing the little sisters along. So when the little sister had to harvest Adam, you had to protect her. Yeah. So you were constantly being overwhelmed with groups of enemies coming right to you. Whereas mm-hmm. in the first game you had, you entered a room and you could kind of sometimes see where people were and plan out, okay, I'm going to shoot electricity here and knock out those guys and shoot a grenade over there and whatever. But now you can't do that. So you're setting mines and you're trying to block yourself in to protect this little sister mm-hmm. while just a whole you know mob comes at you. And so I felt like, you were just always on the edge of losing. You were always on the edge of no longer having you know, ammo or plasmids left in you. Right. In the second game. Right. Mm-hmm. It felt just a little more survival focused, I think. It did. Absolutely. Is this, I haven't played the first and second one in literally so long. Is the second one with Tannenbaum or does Tannenbaum, is Tannenbaum in the first? I think she's in both, isn't she? She is in both, but she's a main okay. player in the first one. Because she's the she one is. who she is protecting. Yeah. yeah she's... Like she's protecting the little sisters, right? right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And okay. she helps you out like heading into the final boss fight of the first one. Right. Yeah. So she... I love Tannenbaum. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, she's cool. Uh, I like her story. So speaking of the little sisters, the second game also brings in the mechanic where you get to play as a little sister shortly. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That part of the game is one of my favorite parts of the trilogy because you get to see this drug induced universe. The little sisters are living in that is just completely fictional from Mm -hmm. everything else going on around them. Everything is bright and colorful and happy Mm -hmm. and clean. And they think that's how it all looks. Right. That, and did you think that's how it was for them? Cause I was totally blown away by that. Not at all. And I think I really enjoy that switch because in the first one you see them like skipping around and, the still updated world with like the big daddies and you're like, what the fuck? These, like they're children and you get it. And you're like, okay, well maybe they have to make their own fun, but they're skipping around and they're loving, you know, they're just so happy all the time. And it's really creepy, especially in the first one because yeah. you don't understand it. You're just like these children with glowing eyes and syringes 
are <laughs> having the best time of their life right now. And then for the second one, you get to see their view. And it's very um, We Happy Few, if you guys have played that game or seen it. I um, wanted to. I really liked the trailers and what I saw. It, it reminded me very much of Bioshock, and then I just never got around to it. Yeah, it's heavily influenced by Bioshock. And it's just in the second game um, of Bioshock 2, seeing the little sister's point of view. Sorry, my cat is wanting to jump off on shelves. Um, seeing their point of view, you're just like, okay, they're not psychotic. They're just dope the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> and also as we shift from gameplay to storytelling, I think it's worth noting that, like, for me at least, the first game started off really strong, and I think it's got one of the best uh, openings of any game ever um, as you descend into Rapture and you're hearing Andrew Ryan's narration of what's going on. And then, like, in the last third of the game, I don't know, like, I just wasn't as invested, and that, that the final fight was, I get what they were going for, but it was a little over the top. Whereas, by contrast, as much as I like to, as much as I prefer maybe Bioshock One over Two, the second game kind of starts off slow, and I'm like, eh, well, I don't know what's going on here. By the time that game ends, and then if, when you get to the DLC, especially, it's like, holy shit, this game was a slow burn and um, had a much stronger ending. I felt in the first one. Yeah, I'm with you there. I definitely think the big Fontaine boss fight is underwhelming. And mm-hmm. maybe yeah. maybe it has to do with how you play the game, right? I mean, if you rescue all the little sisters and you perform your upgrades well, um, mm-hmm. then you're pretty set. Maybe that's that's the key. I mean, I went in there, I had a good amount of ammo and, and, and traps and, and all that type of stuff. My plasmids were good. And so it seemed pretty quick. It was actually... I don't know that it was much more difficult than taking down like the first big daddy. Right. You know, um, well, not only was it not difficult, it was super cheesy. Like by the time yeah. you get to the end of the first game, if you're familiar with Ayn Rand and Atlas shrugged, you already get the metaphor they're going for. And like, okay, like, Oh, he's yeah. literally Atlas. And like, he looks like Atlas. Like, uh, like, okay. Like this is like, it's almost too much at the end. He doesn't... I do like the, sorry. I was just saying, he doesn't look, he doesn't look good. That's that's the no, thing. That's exactly that's the big problem. He looks like Scorpion King at the uh, end of <laughs> Mummy Two. Right, right. Um, I think for storytelling in Bioshock, like you're saying, that it, it starts out really strong. How and I feel like after the slow um, reveal of Atlas and like the brainwashing of the Would You Kindly kind of mechanism, I feel like after that, it just kind of coasts and it doesn't really have anything else to offer at the end it's just like i feel like they played their cards and they threw them on the table and then like we still have to finish this game yeah they give you the big Uh, plot twist like two-thirds in and you still have a whole world to get through the problem is fontaine's just a dude right and you were you killed andrew ryan with a golf club right fontaine's not Mm -hmm. going to be any different so they had to come up with some you know, gamey way to make it a big final boss battle. But yeah. the problem is it doesn't always work from a narrative perspective. Right. You know, so he, he's kind of ridiculous and he doesn't look great and it's just not a unique fight, right? You're, you're in an arena, basically mm-hmm. there's, there's ammo and things like that. And you just kind of run around avoiding his attacks until you see an opening. And that's yeah, and it. his attacks well, Andrew... aren't scary. No, they're not. 
And Andrew Ryan was human. He was human, and you, at that point in the game, before you killed him, you were already fairly well indoctrinated into his philosophy. Whereas um, Atlas, uh, or um, uh, what was the other name? Fontaine. Fontaine, yeah. Like, Fontaine Fontaine was just a guy uh, who had an ideal, uh, and, and, and Atlas was his philosophy. So like when you're when you're you're in that final boss fight, you're not fighting a person anymore. You're fighting an idea. You're fighting this rebellion against Andrew Ryan and uh, his philosophy. And the thing is, as the player though, you don't really care. Like the character Jack doesn't care about any of that. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you as a player listen to all of the audio logs, maybe you're semi invested, but you don't right. really give a shit. I mean, you're there to save the little sisters and get the hell out of there. Right. And, and honestly, the way the story is written, that's and the way the ending is written, the canon ending is written. That's really all you're about anyway. So like all this other stuff is just it's just extra. Exactly. And I feel like like you mentioned the audio logs, I feel like for the like the first Bioshock, I feel like players didn't really care. Um, I felt like the average gamer who wants to just get in and have fun thinks the audio logs are boring and they like a lot of the ones they're the same people that don't read a lot of the information in other games like last right. of us you have all of those journals that you can find throughout the world and a lot of people just don't do it because it's tedious and they don't like to pause the game they don't like to read and for the audio logs yeah you can have them in the background playing but you still have to listen to them and i feel like a lot of people skip them because a lot of people aren't as invested into the bigger world. Um, and I felt like the emphasis on the audio logs definitely became more important as the game series moved on because I think people realized, oh, this is providing information or this could provide different codes or X, Y, Z. Like it fleshes out the world more. And I feel like people learn that from the first one, obviously. Mm-hmm. But when you get to Fontaine, if you haven't, like you said, if you haven't really give a shit about the audio logs, you will miss out on so much context that makes everything much more punchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. And I, I understand it sometimes because like my backlog is so big when it comes to video games. When I sit down, I'm like, well, this is already going to be an X number of hour game if mm-hmm. I push through it. You know, then sometimes I will take shortcuts depending on what it is. I tried really hard not to do that for the Bioshock games. I really tried to listen to everything that I could find. Um, But that's abnormal for me just because I know I'm trying to get to the next game. Sometimes that's a problem, I think, is that... You know, when, when when I was a kid and I was growing up, I would get a game for my birthday and I would get a game for Hanukkah and that would probably be about it, right? Maybe I'd get one mm-hmm. more during the year for, for something special um, and I would just play those games over and over. But now I've got just this massive backlog. I've got Xbox Game Pass and the free games that PlayStation gives away every month and then my Steam catalog and it's just, right. I got to get to the next game. I got to get to the next yeah. we're, we're almost too saturated now. So, so Derek, yeah. you just you just started playing these games. Morgan, how many times have you played these games? I definitely played Bioshock one like three times. Um, Bioshock, I played Bioshock two once um, yeah. because it was really hard, and I <laughs> was a child, and I'm like, I don't like this. This isn't fun anymore. Right. Um, but Infinite, I have played several times and i've watched um my boyfriend at the time 
I'd watched him go through it because I forced him to go through it. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I've watched different gameplays just because I enjoy the story and I like watching a lot of Let's Plays because it's like hanging out with a friend. Yeah. And um, it's just like sometimes, especially with Bioshock 3, like I'm 3, Infinite, <laughs> um, there's a lot of things you can miss, like a lot of things with the Lutesses that yeah. if you're not paying attention, you're it's just like over your head. And, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I feel like with a lot of, with the Lutesses, if you don't, if you're not paying attention to what they're, one, what they're saying, um, and two, how they're changing the environment around you, you won't really get the impact as much in the latter part of the game because you're like, well, what? I don't, okay, yeah. these two crazy twins are just spouting off nonsense. But they're saying things that are extraordinarily uh, right, And they're like giving you like, they're basically narrating for you and they're yeah. crazy bibble bibble babble to each other, which I absolutely love. Because... Well, and then, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, because like, they're so eccentric. So they stick out, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just like this, I had an idea, I had a thought, but I can't think of it anymore. <laughs> Well, it's like the Lutesses, especially like there's that little Easter egg even where it's like, are they twins or are they the same person from a different reality? Because Bioshock Infinite touches on the different realities. And that was yes. a fascinating discussion. But Well, no, but they, yeah. they, they, they explain that. Did, did they? It's been yeah. a, it's been a, like a year since I played the last. So they one. are, yeah. They're they're the they're both an only child from different realities. Mm -hmm. So they're in mm -hmm. one in one universe it was a boy, in the other universe it was a girl. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's how that works. That's why they're so tightly connected because they're technically the same person. The same person. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm, uh, yeah. So which, I I played these. No, go ahead, Derek. No, yeah. Which is which is really interesting. I I love that. So the the best part of Infinite for me is the multiverse idea. This idea, yeah. it's it's a concept that I've loved for a very long time. I this idea of the of of, of infinite possibility. Anything that could happen has happened, and there's a universe mm -hmm. for it. Um, I'm a I'm a really big fan of that. And um, hell, I I wrote my first paper on that in freshman philosophy in high school. I took a nice. wow. I took a nice. philosophy class as a freshman in high school, and that's what that I wrote my paper awesome. on. That's very on brand for you, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, I minored in philosophy in college, um, and so those concepts are really interesting to me. So, like the coin toss, for example, mm -hmm. you know, it's 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 all it's always that same way because it's always that same way they've already done this it's already happened right yeah. there's no it's not that there isn't free will it's that they they've already seen it yeah, yeah there's nothing they haven't seen and that's why they're so flippant with things which i really like because at first you're like they're Cut. assholes Flip and they're the just ignoring flippant. me <laughs> but they're uh, yes yeah, it's because they're disconnected they're separated from everybody else they're kind of in their own lane they're very yeah. omniscient observery and yeah. I love it because they just sound like crazy people until like you understand. And I love that. Like it always feels like you're yes. on the outside with them. But on multiple replays, you start to like understand what they're saying. Like, especially like on subsequent times you play through it. So like Derek, I know you just started them Morgan. You mentioned that like you've played these a few times, but maybe infinite more. I, I, and I, I only play Bioshock two the one time as well. 
and I played in a weird order. I played the first Bioshock uh, like maybe twice, and then Bioshock Two came out, and I, and I I read mixed reviews, and I was like, ah, eh, fuck it, I'm not interested. But then Bioshock Infinite, like I followed that project from like inception to release, and all of the multiple delays, and like the different iterations, and like all the pre-game uh, footage and all that. And I was hyped. And so when Infinite came out, I got it almost immediately. And Infinite, I've played the most. But uh, it wasn't until after I played through Burial at Sea DLC, you know, episode two, that I thought, ah, okay, I should go back and play Bioshock 2. So I played them in a weird order. And I only played Bioshock. Yeah, I only played Bioshock 2 the, uh, um, the one time. Now, it's coming out on Switch later this month. And I will, I will be buying it. And I will play it in order this time. Um, so but I've just, also played I've also played Infinite more than the others. So. Just to throw this out there, according to Metacritic, these are the scores for the three games in order. Okay. The, the original got a ninety six. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, the second one got an eighty eight. Yeah. And Infinite got a ninety four. Yeah. Really. Uh huh. Now I don't think that includes DLC. I think that's just the base game technically. See, but he- but even just the base game, like, I remember when it came out, a lot of people didn't get it. It was a weird game. Like, a lot of people didn't resonate with it. Like, they wanted Bioshock, and they had a very – they were attached to what Bioshock should look like, uh, and they weren't expecting what they got. Um, I also think that – again, I mentioned this earlier, but it came out when the Tea Party was in, like, the height of their influence over the GOP. And um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but so there is so you know Bioshock Infinite is is a criticism in in parts of uh, racism, and there's a scene where they have some very obviously offensive Asian American, uh, offensively portrayed Asian. Uh, yes. Yes, but it's intentionally done so as, as a reflection of society, and um, and there was a, there was a, a a big mural that had like Asians fighting in the background, and like it was a, like the racial stereotypes were awful. And, and they had like, um, like a John Brown type figure and like the whole thing was a mess. And uh, right around the time this game came out, uh, there was a Fox News story that used that image in the background of one of their, uh, their news stories. And like Ken Levine even commented, he's like, oh, I, don't, I don't think these people realize that we like designed this as satire at all. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people just didn't get to the point that that's, the Bioshock Infinite was trying to make like. Well, I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I bet you that th- those people definitely exist. But for me, the problems that I had with Infinite until you finish it, and that's the problem is you have to finish it, yeah. is that it's, it's exactly like Bioshock but different, and the yeah. but the but different part doesn't really make sense until you finish the game. So it's like okay, well, it's not. Um, you know, you don't have the same abilities, right? It's not plasmids, it's vigors, and they're named different things. And you're like, well, that seems kind of silly. It's the same mechanic. Why not just name it the same thing? And then it's like, oh, yeah. it feels like they were being different just to not use the same terminology, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, you can't save when you want to. It's it it auto saves for you when it feels like it. The areas are are smaller. Which, yeah. as a side note, that auto save feature really sucks when you're playing on the hardest difficulty, which I did once and only once. Well, for me, I, I like to play most, most games I play are games that I can pause with very few exceptions. And the idea that I couldn't just pause and save it whenever I wanted to, when the previous two games let you do that. Yeah. Seems kind of 
annoying. Now, there's probably an architectural reason for that. The game is significantly larger. Um, if you... It has a lot more moving assets as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure that that's a piece of it. I mean, that's why when you get the Bioshock collection on PS4, it's two different downloads, one for the first two games and one for the third game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it just, it was different in weird ways for people. And if you don't finish sure. the game, most of those ways are never really explained. I think that's and I why... Do... Yeah, didn't care for it. And I do feel like maybe people thought Bioshock Infinite was too on the nose with their like satire of like racism and government. Uh, because when I played it, I loved it because as a, min- a minority um, who is, I think I was a senior in high school. If not, if not, it was a summer between high school and college. Um, like senior year in college, but as someone who has lived this, has lived with with racism and a lot of games kind of glossing over it, um, it was really satisfying to be like, oh my gosh, they get it. And they're like, it's satire, yes, and a lot of people were kind of offended. However, it was just, it was obviously satire to me. And I feel like a lot of people don't like their especially now don't like their entertainment content having political uh overtones because they're like we don't we don't want we don't like government we don't want games preaching to us however don't make me think exactly and it's especially with i mean bio the bioshock games are very philosophical and they make you think but i feel like infinite kind of pushed your face in it in a way that the prior to hadn't because now that you're talking about time travel and the idea of free will versus set timelines and how different you can be and then slavery and um, racism against Asian Americans like you're just having so many lofty concepts that really matter and I think a lot of people didn't like their face being pushed in it as much as Infinite did Sure. And I, I, I loved it because yeah. I like people kind of shining a light on a lot of racism and cultural and society societal issues. However, people who don't hate it. Yeah. Well, and Ken Levine is a big proponent of video games as an art form. And like, he's sure. written a lot about how that they're an art form. And, and if, if you ever asked him in an interview, like, you know, what's the meaning behind Bioshock or what's the meaning behind infinite? Like he, he referred to his games numerous times as a Rorschach test. Like, what do you see? Like he would deflect on you. Like, what do you see in this? Like, you know, how do you view this? And that I, I believe that the, the the discussion of it all is, is fascinating. Well, and I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because so I, I'm, my family's Jewish and I was brought up in a very uh, Christian area of the world. And um, I, uh, I mean, I've, I've been an atheist since I was 14, but I was brought up Jewish. And when people found out I was Jewish, that usually didn't go over super well. And so when I play infinite, there's so many religious overtones that, especially early on in the game that like, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of eye rolling for me because I just, I don't like that stuff in my face because it's just frustrating for me. 
because of all of my previous experiences. So I like Absolutely. getting past all of that. And then we get to the multiple universes and the timelines and time travel and the tears and all this other stuff. Now you have my attention, right? Cause now, now it's all sci-fi cool stuff. And now <laughs> you've got me, let's do this. But it's rare that a game or a TV show or a movie for that matter tackles religion in a way that I'm interested if that makes sure. sense. It's usually that a makes big total sense, yeah. It's usually a big turnoff. And that's a big departure because the first two games completely ignore religion. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because the, the, they're so antithetical to each other. The first one is like the opposite, like no gods, no kings, just man. So, so there's no religion, there's no government. It's very, it, it's it's Ayn Rand, it's it's Atlas Shrugged. It, it's there's no government, there's no religion. Like no one's gonna tell us what we can do. Whereas in Infinite, it's like okay, God and the government, like these are holy ordained structures of our society, and that we're gonna adhere to what they say. And I mean, there are a few visual elements that I think maybe are a little silly, like the, um, the George Washington robots. Um, like, don't get me wrong. Like I understand the, the point being made about how we romanticize our historical figures in very inaccurate ways. Mm -hmm. I'm totally on board with all of that, but like the George Washington robot, I'm just, I'm a little like, okay. (laughs) There's a reason why it's the statement that you like, you have to kill your darlings. And, and, and maybe at the point where that move, when that game came out, not enough people were willing to kill the, the George Washington darling that, that has been a staple in American society for so long. It was cheesy and unnerving at the same time. See, That's the thing. It was never unnerving to me. It was just a George Washington robot. And so I just thought it was silly. I think I have a very unique, opinion about like that whole um uh imagery because as like i said a black woman in america i feel like a lot of the historical figures are very problematic obviously and so it was very almost symbolic of like now these historical figures these um founding fathers that everyone just adores is killing you and i feel like for me it felt like it felt like they were shining a light on the history of like america wasn't built for people of minority for women it was built for men and anyone different like white men and anyone different they were killed and Um, that's kind of what I got out of it of like, you're different, you're acting out, therefore, we're going to kill you because you don't fit into quote unquote, our America. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up, Morgan, because I wanted your unique perspective on Daisy Fitzroy as a character. I, I really wanted to like her. Mm-hmm. Like, I like the idea and I like her and I want to cosplay her because yes. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> But I also kind of feel like they villainized her in a way that instead of empowering her and her revolution just kind of killed it. Like at the end where she is like telling Booker to choose um, Mm -hmm. and she just like kills people anyway, like the kid is just kind of like, well, like I I get her point. It just kind of seems like they had this strong figure and they were doing this really powerful thing 
And then they're like, ooh, I'm afraid of what this message is going to send, so let's do this. Right. Which well, then is a little she, frustrating. She ends up just kind of being a pawn anyway when it's all said yeah. and done. Which is disappointing. Which kind of undercuts any point she was going to make. Right. Exactly. Which, like, but didn't that transition happen? Because there was this big shift in Bioshock Infinite where everything's going a certain way and then Booker chooses to kind of fuck with the timeline and jump through and then, like, he comes back through and then, like, the inventor is dead. And then Daisy Fitzroy's revolution is a bit more... um, Well, it's not a time jump. He goes into a different reality. Right, yeah, not a time jump, but an alternate reality jump is what I meant. Um, so, So, like, I felt like Daisy Fitzroy, like, she was played up as this very honorable character, um, which would have been really cool to see that version. But then Booker jumps into this other reality where yeah. um, she's kind of just as villainous as um, uh, what's his name? Oh uh, gosh, what is Zachary? It's, it's Zachary Comstock. I, I, we have the same first name, but <laughs> we're nothing alike. Yeah, Comstock slash Booker DeWitt. They're the same person. Yeah. Or and I feel they? like it just kind oh, of. Oh, they, they are. Sorry, Morgan. <laughs> Uh, no, you're fine. Um, with uh, with him jumping through the, to another reality, I feel like they kind of land on the trope of all of how like media portrays like black revolutional leaders, um, where like oh they're they're saying all these great things, but look, they're really villains. They're really criminals. They're killing people. And I think that was, that's what was really frustrating about it because they couldn't have this black revolutionary be great. They had to kind of, kind of twist the knife a bit and be like, oh, look, look at this, which like really frustrated me because you see that with Martin Luther King, you see that with Malcolm X and the list goes on about people in media kind of twisting the efforts of uh black people and minorities when they're when they're trying to get more rights into yeah. showing the more villainous aspects of their behavior which was frustrating to me shit black people can't even run without getting shot down and- <laughs> exactly and it's just it actually um is a really interesting um oh my gosh i can't think of words today i'm so sorry um, the Vox Populi and the Fireflies mm-hmm. in oh, yeah. uh, Last of Us are very similar and they yeah. ironically both have Troy Baker in them as the lead <laughs> yes. and I remember I played I mean Infinite came out before Last of Us mm-hmm. right? Yes. Okay good <laughs> Yeah no, you got that right um, And I remember playing um, Last of is, Us and being like right? this is I think so because The Last of Us came out on ps3 right yeah infinite came out on ps3 as well right yeah they both did i'm trying to remember when the first one came out i know yeah no you're you're right 2014 sorry yeah because i was i know last of us came out when like the tail end of ps3 moving into ps4 um but i remember playing last of us and this is very vox populi especially with Marlene being the um, leader of the Fireflies. And I feel like their, their stories and their messages are very similar, which I just think is interesting. Yeah. yeah. And they were both in development at the same time. So it's possible people were having conversations and just ideas floated across. Uh, yeah. 
Now we're we've kind of gone a little bit longer than I had originally intended, so I want to start wrapping things up. Um, so of course, like the whole trilogy wraps up in this idea that all of this, there's all these possibilities and all these universes where things happen. And in order for things to really be right, the bookers, the Comstocks, the Dewitts, whatever, uh, they all have to be stopped. So Elizabeth has, you know, she, she's basically made it this one Elizabeth, this special Elizabeth has made it her mission, uh, to, to take them all down. Um, one of my favorite parts of the franchise is when you get to play as her in the DLC. Yes. Um, I always like when games let you play as one of the other characters because you usually have a different skill set, um, or or even sometimes you're more vulnerable. Uh, that's why I like yeah. Halo ODST is one is probably my, one of my favorite Halo games because it brings back like health packs and you're yeah. not like a super soldier, <laughs> you know. Um, or like in Bioshock 2, when you get to play as the little sister, I like that kind of mix up. And, um, you know, she's got, she's got some cool abilities. She's got the cool, um, oh, the, like the grapple gun thing mm-hmm. she gets yeah. to use and all that. Um, she has the peeping Tom, right. um, uh, pl- plasmids, which is OP as fuck. Super yeah. cool though. And just <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, so that personally was one of, one of the highlights of, infinite for me even though it was in the dlc but how, how do you guys feel about the way the story wraps up ties back into the original are there things you you really liked or anything you would have preferred was different zach you go first <laughs> um no like I, I i i love these games i've replayed them a, new, a number of times not the second one um <laughs> but uh, i know well and here's the thing like i I've also bought these games a number of times. I first played them on the Xbox 360, or no. Yeah, it was the Xbox 360. Uh, and then I bought, uh, I played them again on the Xbox One. I played them on uh, PS4. Um, I am going to be buying them later this month. And I'm probably going to buy the digital version just because I know the games I replay often enough. And I don't want to switch out the Animal Crossing card just to play some Bioshock. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, re- it's a real struggle. Um, but no, these are games that, that I love and have revisited numerous times. I think, especially from our conversation, I think, I, I won't speak for Morgan, but, but like to Derek's point and Morgan's points that, that you guys have both made, like I think maybe uh, maybe I appreciate Bioshock Infinite more because I've played it so many times and it's a story that I've kind of relished in. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do have plans to go through them again and play, you know, in order. Um and, and I think, you know, including DLC, especially it's, it's a very cyclical journey. That's not, uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, I've got, I've got complaints. I've got minor complaints, but, uh, nothing major, nothing that like makes me love this franchise less, um, and keeps me from like revisiting it. It's definitely a comfort thing for me, like to like return to Rapture and or Columbia and these, you know, idealistically imposed or opposed, uh, worlds that, uh, uh, that, that forced me to think and examine the world around me. And I appreciate that about this, these games. And that's something that I will um, continue to go back to. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, I, like I said, we've, we both said I've played infinite more maybe because I was older when infinite came out and I appreciated it more and I had more like special memories with it. Then the other two, I have special memories with them as well. 
I don't think there is anything that I, I think I love it more, infinite more, because one, Troy Baker is one of my favorite people ever. Um, I love him as a voice actor. I love him as a person. Um, I hate that he named his child Traveler. I think it's dumb, but anyway. <laughs> oh, man. I had not heard um, that. Called yeah, out. His, his son's name is Traveler. He's a cute boy, but anyway. Um, it's better so than think, Elon Musk's child. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really enjoy the um, dynamics that these games pose and like Zach said earlier that it's basically like boils down to father and daughter kind of um, roles. And I really enjoy that because you feel, especially, especially in infinite you're with Booker and Elizabeth the entire time and you really feel for these characters and you really want to see them prosper. Um, and like you just kind of feel elizabeth's trapped feeling of that she always has she's like she's a bird in the cage obviously and she's so she starts out so innocent and this like the slow descent that she has is almost kind of like when you i mean i i don't have children but like uh when you see your kids grow up when you see someone grow up you kind of see their life kind of not take a darker role, but you see the things that hurt them and you see them change because of that. And I really like that kind of shift these games have of like bringing you back to the basic like emotions of like fear, love, sadness, and um, anger. And it's just kind of raises the bar and kind of quite like, makes you question everything which i really really enjoy well i uh yeah I, I echo what you guys are saying um i i love the the wraparound story that it's all tied together that elizabeth kind of has to put it all into motion um mm -hmm. her character is a wonderful addition to to the trilogy um because there just aren't a lot of likable characters yeah, yeah. You know, and she's there's also not a lot of likable like sidekick characters in video games that aren't annoying. True. Like they yeah. put a lot of like they put a lot of hard work into Infinite to not make her annoying. Yes, no, she, she's really cool, um, and and I appreciated that. I'm just gonna give a shout out to the second game and say that it doesn't deserve the hate. <laughs> there's some really cool content in there. I yeah, think no, it's a good game. I think the story is really powerful, um, especially for uh, anybody who is a parent or, or wants to be one, I think that there's some powerful stuff in there and there's some yeah. really cool evolutions of the first game with the big sisters and with being able to play as a little sister for a short time. It's, it, it expands on that universe really well. And I think, yeah. I think it's just kind of looked over a bit because it's not incredibly different from the first game and obviously infinite is. And I think those two are stark, contrasts and the second one kind of gets lost um but the whole trilogy is valid and it, it all each chapter contributes something unique to that franchise that is worth noting agreed absolutely so, like zach was saying the bioshock collection all three games including all the dlc um lands on switch may 29th 2020 here uh so you'll be able to get that i don't have a price for you i looked i looked to try and find it and i i can't find a price um i'm assuming it's going to be 59.99 because that's yeah. just 
with the cartridge costs and stuff, it seems to be what they're doing. But yeah, welcome to the circus of values. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, the reality is there is a lot of other stuff I was hoping to touch on, uh, like technology, aesthetic, music, all those types sure. of things that we got music we didn't oh. get to. Infinite so, alone, like well, had right, some of the so, best uses of music. So what I so I'm gonna say is I think maybe we'll have to revisit this topic. Yeah. Absolutely. I would love to talk more about like Elizabeth's character and like the women in Bioshock. Yeah. So then I think that's what we need to do is have a part two, maybe even a part three, and just dive deeper into some of these other areas now that yeah. we've kind of done a general conversation. Um, because we gotta wrap things up unfortunately <laughs> so um in order to do that we'll we'll have you guys say your goodbyes um zach if people want to reach out to you and talk bioshock or animal crossing or whatever uh yeah. how, would, how would people do that uh, i am at avengers es uh on instagram and twitter and uh morgan if people want to see your your cosplay or your modeling or whatever how might they do that uh, I have two Instagrams. I have one for cosplay. It is Morgan.Volpe. And then I have the other one for modeling. And that's Morgan Simone underscore official. And I always love talking anything. So <laughs> cool. And I'll, I'll put everybody's handles and stuff in the show notes, um, along with a link to the, the Bioshock collection stuff. So you guys can check that out if you're interested in it. Thank you both for coming on and being my first guests on the revival of the Gamer Heroes podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, no problem at all. We'll have you both back, I'm sure, multiple times. So thank you guys very much. And uh, that's, that's it for the interview. So we'll talk to you guys later. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week on the Gamer Heroes podcast here on the Heroes Podcast Network. I am Derek. Thank you so much for joining us, especially making it to the end of the episode here. I'm really excited to have Gamer Heroes back in action and to be back hosting it. We will be back in two weeks. Remember, this is a biweekly show. I will have a new guest on and we will be talking about Animal Crossing New Horizons for the Nintendo Switch. And then the episode after that, I will have even more guests on the show as we will be talking about fallout 76 wastelanders as well as the fallout franchise as a whole and where 76 fits in with it thank you so much for joining us we'll catch you next time game on gamer heroes is produced by the heroes podcast network and hosted by me Derek mayer follow me at the star trek dude on twitter you can subscribe to the show on spotify apple podcasts spreaker podcast addict and anywhere else you listen to podcasts follow us on twitter at gamer heroes pod or facebook and instagram at heroes podcasts stream our latest episodes and catch other hpn shows on our website heroespodcasts.com game on